Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 473 of Flow Wrestling Radio Live. I'm your host, Christian Piles, joined by my two quarantine brothers, Stephen Kyle Brackey to my right, who's wearing a hat forwards today. Forwards. So, you know, he's locked in and coming out from Wisconsin in the bunker. Ben Askren, how are you? I'm doing well. Doing a lot of uh, wood splitting, cutting trees down. Doing that type of stuff since I'm not doing anything else besides podcasting. Okay, yeah, we're all kind of in a pretty similar boat here. A uh, lot, a lot going on in in the world. We just found out last night there's going to be a shelter in place order in Austin, and we don't know how exactly that's going to impact the show right now. But all I do know is the show will continue regardless, even if they try to make us remain in our homes. We will FRL. They cannot stop Chris- us. From I got a tough. Qu- I got a tough question for you, Christian. You ready? Hit it. Okay. So last week you got asked the question: Would you sleep in jail for uh, a month for NCAs? Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Today's question is: Often orders to stay at a shelter or whatever, and you can only stay in one place. Do you stay at at Flow, sleep there, so you can do the show, or do you go home and sleep with your family and you can't do the show? Oh my gosh. I didn't think you were going to go there. <laughs> what um, do you do? I got to go home. <laughs> I guess. You know, that's, I guess that I'll say that was an easy one, but not that easy. No more FRL. That would be bad. But um, yeah, I would have to do that. So yeah, I don't know what's <laughs> yeah. going to be the deal. Hopefully, they say uh, maybe we'll still be able to come in, but. But who knows? But they already they were already had a plan in place for if that happens. So that's uh that's the quarantine update. Ben, how are things? Uh, you're you're just splitting wood and doing podcasts basically. No one's going that's stir it. crazy. All, no, well, I mean, I'd be, I might be going a little stir crazy. I've only seen the only outside people I've seen are my uh, brother and my mom, and uh, yeah, that's it. It's, it's simple. I, I'm annoyed about this Olympics thing, Christian. I just did actually a periscope. Can I tell you why I'm annoyed about it? Is that okay? Yeah, so let me catch them up. They just announced this morning Olympics are going to be pushed back. They're not canceled, as Ben Askren's tweet said. They did not cancel the Olympics. But they are postponed. They're not going to happen in 2020. Okay, here's why I'm annoyed. On Sunday, Christian, we are taping right now. We're live. This is Tuesday morning. On Sunday, they said, give us a month. Okay, yeah. that seems reasonable. We're in the middle of a crisis. Let's 
to give you a month. Monday, you know, Australia says, and they say, okay, we're canceled. It's like, what Oh, no. Ben, you're like, it's terrible. I don't know. You've been compromised, Ben. Hey. Why can't they have the Ben, <laughs> Ben, no one can hear you. All right, Ben, Ben just got cut. It's been been a really weird couple days with internet stuff and call-ins, and you know, you watched all last week. It was, you know, obviously there's like little issues and things having fifty different people call in, but it's been relatively smooth. Too many people on the damn internet. I know. Stop watching Tiger King, and then <laughs> I guess what Ben was saying, and and. I'll try to fill in some of the blanks there. So, yes, it's true. The IOC said, hey, we're not going to make any decisions for a month. And then they said, okay, I, I what I think happened is, and I don't know if Ben's back or not, uh, but I see his face, but it's not moving. So I guess he's not back. So I think what happened was they had so much pressure, USATF, USA Swimming, Canada said we're not coming, uh, Australia said we're not coming. So when that happens, the IOC then I think really feels like okay, we need to respond and we got to make a way. Um, we got to make a make a decision here and back it up. And the writing was on the wall. And better to be out in front of it, I guess, than to be so reactive that basically every country says we're not coming. And then they're like, okay, we are. We are going. I can I can actually hear you guys now. Oh, great, cool. Well, we'll see how long this lasts. Ben, uh, I was attempting to maybe say what you were trying to say, talking about the IOC saying, hey, we need a month. And then what I think happened, Ben, is all these countries said, hey, we're not coming. USA Swimming, USA Track and Field said, we, we don't think this should happen. And then I think that forced the IOC's hand to make a decision quicker than maybe they wanted to. Because ultimately, the IOC really, really, really wants to do this in 2020. And they're not going to be able to now. Okay. Unless we can get Ben to call in via a f- telephone, a cell- cellular phone, I don't think it's going to work via via um, call-in. So that's a shame. Yeah. All right, Bracky, I'm going to need you, buddy. I know. Okay. Uh, so Olympics are moved <clears throat> to when? We don't know. I, w- I am assuming what they're going to do is just try to do it in 2021, that summer. I don't think they're going to try to do like – a December of 2020 type of thing. Um, one, I think there's probably a weather thing going on there with some of the uh, events. It's a summer games, and they would need to have like summerish type of weather in Tokyo. And then two, I think just logistically, I don't think the the worst thing would be to say, okay, we're doing it in December or November, and then this thing is still not under control in a way that is really. You know, to where you really know what kind of risk you're taking by having this, the world dis- descend to to Tokyo. I think that could be a big problem. So I think for that reason, you don't say December because you don't know if it can ha- even happen in December. Yeah. There's so much unknown about about this. I mean, they're saying four months. They're saying eight months. They're saying it's it's just too much unknown. So I think the next year is when it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that's. They said the latest would be 2021, and it just makes more sense. Because, um, like you said, you don't know what's going to happen the rest of the year. I mean, I guess in a month or two we could be out of this 
quarantine bubble we're in, but we don't know that. Um, so I guess 2021 is a safe bet. Give people plenty of – now they have something – I guess you want to get the date set yeah, uh, as soon as possible so these athletes know what they're training for and when they're training for it and all, and all the countries can get their qualifying if they haven't done that yet set. So what what is interesting about it is we you know we set our qualification around 2020 and we set our Olympic trials qualification around 2020. Now we have almost the entire field set and it's going to be set like that in motion for basically another year. So what does does USA Wrestling make any changes? I think one smart change they could do is make uh, and this is something you actually mentioned make last chance have take three. Because yeah. they were going to have the NCAA champions as a possible one. So what what the, I think that accomplishes, one, they were going to take two anyways. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, in a year, who knows who would emerge, right? Like, you know, Yanni was just kind of coming into his own last year as on a, as a senior level threat, right? Like, so who could be the Yanni of 2021? Whereas Yanni was Yanni for 2019. There could be other freshman guys coming up that could really have impact that maybe wouldn't have in 2020. But a year can do a lot for uh, a wrestler, right? So, mm-hmm. could be could be something like that. So, I hope they do take a third one since they didn't have the NCAA tournament and knowing how wrestlers can develop for uh, within a year. Absolutely, you maybe look at a guy like Aaron Brooks or yeah. something like that that was coming on really strong at the end of the year and has had a lot of really strong international success like Yanni did. Um, so, yeah, absolutely, would love to because you know they they took. They were going to take two because of no Schultz. Right. So it kind of makes sense to take top three at last chance with, with no NCAA tournament because I think there were some guys that – obviously they wanted to win an NCAA title for that, right. but they wanted to kill two birds with one stone. How much better is Nick Lee going to be in a year? How much better yeah. – I mean, what could yeah, Luke Pletcher – what could Luke Pletcher be with a year of, of like just straight freestyle focus? I mean, I, th- I think Luke Pletcher could be really good at freestyle. Mm-hmm. He's uh, – I, th- I think both those guys actually – Dom Demas. So there's there's a number of guys that could really have a huge impact on the senior level for for USA. Someone asked it on Facebook, and it's something I asked you before the show. Would they do a start over for qualifying? Like completely wipe the slate? That seems crazy to me. But maybe they'll say, hey, that's the best way to do it. But think about, well, you're going to make all these guys re-qualify. And plus, the other thing that does is like, the world teamers that are like kind of automatically on. So what? They made the world team two years ago, and they're on for basically yeah. a complete other year. I think I don't think you lose much by just keeping who we have qualified so far, and then you have three more spots. I think that's pretty. I think that'd be pretty fair. I, I I'm struggling to find like the really bad outcome of that happening of them saying all right, let's or keeping the current set of qualifiers. I think that would really mess stuff up so i think they keep but one question we're getting a lot is what about the olympic red shirts Mm -hmm. what would happen with them does yanni take another olympic red shirt does i mean at the end of it all only like dayton yanni how many guys actually finished their olympic red shirt michich michich massa yep michigan oh yeah means yes so miles i mean he took one so for that reason you could see uh, i see ben moving i don't know if he can hear us or not but uh Maybe he's back, maybe not. I don't think he can hear us. So with that, maybe those guys get another one. I, I, 
kind of feel like they should be able to take another Olympic red shirt. The guys that took the Olympic red shirt are the real winners in this whole scenario. For real. Because, I mean, what if Spencer took an Olympic? He wouldn't be in this terrible situation where he can't be a four-time national champion now. They're not... I do not think they're going to give that extra year. I do think there should be lawsuits involved with that. I think there's potential lost wages argument that could be made for for some of them. But regardless, I don't think they're getting the other year back. So they're the real winners, the ones that took the Olympic redshirts. And I think they should be able to do it again because the whole point is that you would be able to prepare for international competition for the upcoming Olympic Games. And if that's what you're going to do, then you need to let them do it. It got moved. But I don't see Michigan doing this. I see those guys have this year zeroed in on, and I think they they go for it. I think they should. And I think the same for Yanni even, too. Um, so I, I don't know what they're going to do. But. We, we've seen guys have a lot of success, too, coming right off of folk-style season. Yes. Um, watch, I was watching this full film the other day when we were replaying it. Uh, Thomas Gilman loses the NCAAs and then goes and makes a world team a little bit later. Um, Yanni had his incredible run at the U.S. Open mm-hmm. right after NCAA's. Uh, Snyder made teams after NCAA's. So yeah, Snyder lost in the NCAA finals. A month later, beats Jake Varner at the Open. Yep. Then he makes a team. Then he wins worlds, beating Gadisov. And uh, yeah, so that was that's a pretty good example. Uh, Burroughs did the same thing in eleven. Yeah. So a yeah. lot of them, a lot of them have. That's one thing. And maybe it's a. Uh, you're on a pitch count. You know, you don't wrestle every competition. Sure. Um, just to stay fresh and everything. But, uh, yeah, I, I would expect the guys on teams that can push for titles to wrestle. Yes, I, th- I think they should. And, and that's one thing. I, I put out a tweet yesterday, like, next year's team race is going to be awesome. We'll, d- we'll be diving deeper into that, I guess, as we get a little bit closer to it. So I don't know about the Olympic red shirts. I don't know what, what the NCAA will determine. They're pretty – except for this whole give the guys a year back thing, they're pretty athlete-friendly. They've been more, more so that way, at least, in terms of eligibility concerns. So I think they'll probably get another one. I just don't know who's going to take it, who's going to want an Olympic redshirt now. I mean, would Spencer take one now? I mean, that seems like not the right time because they should, for the same reason he didn't take one this year, he should probably take one. And the other thing is you want to take the Olympic redshirt so you can get qualified for the trials, right? A lot of those guys weren't, you know, Yanni wasn't qualified for the trials. Dayton was, but some of them weren't. So I think in that way you get yourself qualified, and then now you're really just zeroed in on trials. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a that's a difference in uh, in how it'll work too. So it's pushed back to 2021, which means is there no world champions, no world championships? Does UWW say, hey, maybe we throw something together in December like they did in 2016 with the non-Olympic worlds? Uh, that's when Logan won, yep. and, and we sent James at 70. So maybe we see something like that. I don't know if UWW can mobilize that quick. Now, this would be a 10-weight tournament or 6-weight. How would they do it? I don't know. But it's a little more logistically difficult when you have uh, 10 brackets and not 2. Ben just put in the Facebook chat. He's just going to listen here and then type what he wants to say. <laughs> All right. Hey, so if you head over to Facebook, Ben is going to be – listening and typing and we will read you know ben we'll, we'll give you the courtesy of reading your uh, your better responses i'll, I'll leave it up to bracky to kind of relay yep. those and to, and to speak you have to speak in a manner uh that is that resembles ben so just uh, that's your challenge ben hopes right there now. are some world championships this year hope there's something yeah um yeah that would it, it would be tough if there wasn't 
Okay, hey, Kerry Kolak got the Navy job. That's definitely worth mentioning. Big shakeup there. I mean, obviously what he had built at Campbell was so impressive, and the Camels were, were really rolling. Very strong team this season. I would have loved to see what they could have done at the NCAA tournament. I mean, there's so many there's so many little things that like you kind of miss. Like I was thinking about Purdue, Coach Erzlin was on. This was gonna be this was the year for Purdue. This is when like kind of everything aligned. This is gonna be their moment where they get a couple guys on the podium, mm-hmm. I think, potentially, and they really kind of climb the rung. And there's boom, they don't get that opportunity, right? Uh really and similarly I feel for for Campbell. Now with Coach Kolak going, the question becomes where does uh where did they fall in that? You know, where does where did, who slides into that Campbell position, right? Um, and that's a good question. I don't know. You hearing anything? Be, yeah, uh, I hear they might. Well, I first heard the whole staff was going, right? Everyone. And then I heard Scotty Sentes. Maybe he's going to oh. stay, and get the head job. That'd so, be interesting. That would be interesting. I like. That. He's been there with Colette, I think the whole yes. time, right? Yes. Scotty Sentes. If you didn't watch him, actually, we're going to talk about Scotty Sentes in the 2011 uh, NCAA bracket breakdown because he beat this guy named Tony Ramos, uh, if you recall, <laughs> in 2011. So we'll get into that. Scotty Sentes was a beast for Central Michigan. He was like a 6'2, 133 pounder. Yes. And as you can imagine, he was crazy good on top, as most 6'2, 133 pounders tend to be. So from Scotty Sentes, Colat to Navy. And I honestly, I was surprised to see Coach Colat make the move. Not because I I don't think Navy is an awesome opportunity, but it, it seemed like in previous years, Coach Colat wasn't interested in going anywhere. He wanted to stay at Campbell with, you know, on paper, there were seemingly better opportunities. Like with the West Virginia, his name was thrown around when that came available. And yep. it the rumor was he he wasn't interested. He did an interview for it, etc. Uh, there, there are other jobs. Maryland. He had ties back to Maryland. Didn't he interview for Virginia Tech? Well, as a matter of fact, <laughs> he did. Oh, this is funny. So before NCAA's, and this would have been seventeen. Yeah. In twenty seventeen, we are at this uh, Italian restaurant. We do these things. We do these Godfather dinners before big events. Where we go, we have a really nice meal before the event begins. And so what we were, we were it was the whole team eating eating this dinner, and then Whip Babcock and Kerry Colat walk in and have a seat. Whip Babcock is the AD at Virginia Tech because this is when Dresser went to Iowa State and he like left in the middle, of, like right before conferences or right at the end of conferences. It was before conferences actually, and so Virginia Tech was you know at NCAs trying to find their guy, and Coach Colat did apply. I don't think. Uh, I don't think it ever got that, that far down in the process. And um, fortunately, Coach Roby got the job, so that was great. Oh, yeah, great hire. Great hire, and they're, they're killing it. And actually, someone got mad at me because I didn't say that Virginia Tech was one of the title contenders for, for next year, along with, like, Iowa, Penn State, Cornell, and Michigan. But I, I don't see how that is a possibility because Dave McFadden's gone, and, yeah, they're going to have Bowling could win a title next year and, and Mackay, but I don't, I don't see – I think in, in – Latona in the lineup. I like Latona a lot. I just don't know if he's ready. Connor Brady. Mm-hmm. They're going to be good, but just the the proven firepower on the other side, I think it's going to make it really tough. I think in other circumstances, that would be a trophy contending team, but I think we're going to enter – I think next year's just going to be a really unique uh, team race. So 
from Virginia Tech, it all comes back to Virginia Tech with me, as it often does. But uh, <laughs> Colat goes to Navy. Congrats to him. Congrats to Navy. Congrats to the EIWA. Coach Kevin Ward, he was pumped. He was ready to go. Yeah, he's excited. He loves it because uh, it's only going to make – they've been – Army's been absolutely awesome since Ward's been there. Now it's going to only push them to be even better. Yes. Um, so that should be a really fun rivalry uh, to follow over the ne- next few years. Uh, I'm working on this by the numbers thing, kind of looking at a bunch of data from 2011 to 2020, the past 10 years worth the NCAA championships. Mm-hmm. How many um, All-Americans do you think Navy had in that span? Oh, snap. Do we have Ben on? Ben, can you ben, hear us? this is Christian Piles from Flow Sports. How you doing? Oh, I can't hear you anymore. This is kind of crazy. Caleb's trying to hook it up right now. <laughs> I can't hear him though. We're just we are literally troubleshooting on the fly here. This is great. This is good. Can you guys hear me or no? Well, I put you on speakerphone, so <laughs> I can hear you, but uh might need to take it off speaker. Yeah, alright. Taking it off speaker. Alright, this might Wait, not work. Anyways, as I was saying, uh from two thousand eleven to two thousand twenty, Navy only had two all Americans. Matt Miller and I don't know who they are. I know Matt Miller. I don't remember the other one. Did, I just know. The did Jadeen Bernstein ever place? I guess not. I don't know. Okay, so yeah, I guess some some room for improvement there at, at Navy, but they've been a pretty solid squad over the years. Oh, yeah, they haven't been terrible at all. Yes. All right. Now, next up, uh, next topic here is this is kind of a chaotic show a little bit, but we're working through it. Uh, Drake, we didn't even mention that Drake Ayala is going to Iowa. That's crazy. Yeah. Not crazy, but like that's big news right. for the Hawkeyes. And they're getting, um, Jared Frayer just texted me, not to name drop, that we keep getting kicked off. So I'm assuming they know that. Um, yeah. Hopefully the full recording is at least intact and we'll be able to. It is. We've you'll been. at least get the archive of this show. I think maybe we just continue the show and, um, sorry that FRL is not super L today, but. Uh, we're doing the best we can. We'll just blame. It's easy to just blame coronavirus when things don't go well. And uh, I see this no... really is like its fault, though, because everyone is just at home on the Internet and it's causing outages around the country. They're all watching Tiger King, which maybe we should get to after Drake Ayala. Uh, you know, I, I didn't know where he was going. I think Michigan was in the mix for Ayala. I think pretty much every blue blood was after him. He's a really solid, lightweight um Maybe has that national title contender level talent. Uh, what are your thoughts on Ayala? He's very good. Um, <laughs> he was one of the guys I wrestled with when we went to Sea Bowl. <laughs> you were on fire. <laughs> Bracky was like, I, I am much bigger than Drake, though. At the same time, at the yeah, but at the same time, it was still pretty impressive. There were a lot. There were, there's probably a lot of people your size that would not be able to wrestle with Drake Ayala for much. His pace is his pace is for real. <laughs> really? Yeah. No, he's got an insane pace. Uh, really good hands, feet, movement. Um, no, I, I really like him. He's two time Fargo champ, and he's just one of the guys that just has like kept climbing the rankings. Yeah. Um, and now I think he's ranked second right now. Um. But it, it could work out really nicely um, with him. He'll be a senior next year mm-hmm. when Spencer is a junior. And then... Oh. Uh, right? Senior. Oh, yeah. I keep... Yeah. Senior. Yeah. And then... I, he seems to me like a guy 
that could be ready to go right away. Could be. Or they will <laughs> – you know, I think Cashman by that point in time, we'll see what he is. I think they'll have good options at 25 mm-hmm. for, oh, yeah. for Iowa, um, as they often do. When's the last time they did not have a guy you're like, yeah, he could definitely win a title at 25? I don't – I mean, even in 2009 – Charlie Falk winning NCAs was not out of the realm of possibility. Like he was I think right he there. He went in the five seed. Hmm. I think he went in the five seed. He went in the yeah. five. He had. He had. Uh, I think maybe the year before he maybe had a slightly better shot. I think he lost in the semis the year before, but he didn't place that year. But in two thousand nine, but Charlie Falk was really good. And then ten, they had McDonough for four years. Then they went Clark, then Gilman, then straight from Gilman to Spencer, right? Yeah. 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 Holy cow. So <laughs> basically they're always good at 125, and I don't think it's going to change in two years when Spencer's gone. So, yeah, Drake Ayala, big get. Now, another big get, big cats, Tiger King. Are we going to talk about it? <laughs> just, a, just a little bit because people are sitting home. What's the next thing you should binge? You just finished The Office for the 476th time. Yeah. you got to find something else, okay? Michael leaves every time. It's sad, and then the show's not funny anymore. So I think we've Bracky turned me on to this show called Tiger King, which give the synopsis for the people. Uh, Tiger King is mainly about this guy named Joe Exotic, um, who has literally hundreds of lions and tigers and bears and reptiles, like all the dangerous creatures you're not supposed to have. He has an excess amount of them. Only 290 miles from here. Yeah. Which, which is t- it's too much of a temptation during the time of Corona. I don't know how we didn't know about this place. Like, we've probably driven by it so many times on the way to Stillwater. Right. Winniewood, I think it's called. Yeah, Winniewood, Oklahoma. Um, he has a big zoo there. And then it's ki- kind of also about his fight with this the animal rights activists, uh, specifically this one lady named Carol. Who Carol he, Baskin. He really hates. He does not <laughs> like her. He mailed her snakes. <laughs> Uh, just a quick synopsis. Joe Exotic uh, has over, like, he's a recording artist. Yep. He has a lot of really good music videos. He owns 227 tigers that he feeds uh, cows that yep. just die at livestock. And the game wardens the call him. Roadkill. Yep, he feeds them roadkill, and then they're fine. And it's just kind of a wild show. And I think you should watch it, not with the kids around, unless you're one of those, you know, parents that just let your kids watch anything in which case all right fine so yeah watch tiger king on netflix streaming uh it it takes so many like i i kind of i knew i pretty much saw people tweeting about it and then i watched the trailer on netflix and i was like all right this seems wild like let's watch it on sunday and i was really bored and after like one episode i was like what in the world and then every episode there's a new twist or turn you didn't see coming that you could not expect this show to get crazier and it does Okay. Uh, yeah, so check that out. want to make sure we're um, meeting your corona needs. Now, as we're as many of you, many of the, like Virginia just announced no school rest of the year. Done. Really? Yes. Dang. Yesterday. My brother's a teacher. He's actually staying with us this week. He's actually going to head back early. Very unfortunate. that uh, Not getting the full bro time, but that's okay. But he's a teacher. So is his wife. They're going to be out for the whole year. So they're going to have like a six-month summer. Insane. And I... I honestly think it's going to be similar here for um, for our wives too. Yeah, I think they're out till what April sixth right mm-hmm. now. Yeah, but it's going to be. I mean, we're going to have a lockdown order here in Austin till April 9th, 
anyway, it's insane. Okay, sorry. I think we have to talk about it some, just because it's hard all, to not to. Yeah, with it's all the like impact is having on people's lives. I mean, it's the crazy. It's like one of the craziest things that's ever happened. Like in in the world, like this is even World War Two did not affect the American populace the way this has. Like, it's not had the threat of you know the violence didn't come to America in the way that this has. So it's a weird thing. I don't even know if I said that right. So don't get mad. Everyone wants to get mad online right now because everyone's just on Twitter, just angry. Yeah. They're, well, they're bored. They have lots of times to argue. They're bored. Um, I, I, yeah. So we'll just keep it moving. All right. So we're starting a thing and maybe we'll just, we'll postpone it slightly a day, but we were going to do like the best of each weight for the last 10 years and wanted to start, um, with 125, because that's the thing to do. Mm-hmm. So, Bracky put out the poll. Yeah, let me get up the results. For the quarterfinals. Up. We have the results. But we're well, that was just going to be one of the votes. So, it was the fan right. vote. I have a vote. You have a vote. Ben would have a vote. And Ben wanted Nomad to come on and be a tie-breaking vote, which can still happen. Um, I don't think we'll need a tie- any tie-breakers today. Um, we forgot to tell Nomad, though. We forgot, we? He's, he's awake, though. He just <laughs> slacked me. He said, what's up? Um <laughs> Just tell him to get here really quick. Yeah, just, just motor <laughs> in. Uh, okay, so here's the 125 breakdown. Give us the matchups. All right, so your one seed 2019 version of Spencer Lee versus your eight seed the 2017 version of Darian Cruz. Hmm. Uh, your two seed 2011 version of Anthony Robles against the 2015 version of the number seven seed Nathan Tomasello. Number three seed the 2012 version of Matt McDonough uh, versus. No, 2017 version of number six seed Thomas Gilman, mm. and then uh, your number four seed 2014 version of Jesse Delgado versus the number five seed 2016 version of Nico Megaludis. Okay, so we'll start with the layup: Spencer Lee versus Darian Cruz. Oh, we have to have Ben's votes in this. I don't know if he's still in the on the Facebook, but we're gonna need that. He probably would have Cruz. Oh, uh, the Facebook. We lost it. We lost Facebook. Oh boy. Yeah. Sorry. All right. Sorry, Facebook. So. I'm going to take Spencer over Darian Cruz. This match happened in freestyle. It wasn't close. Uh, and I'm sure, well, I'll take that one, Bracky. Yeah, uh, Spencer Lee, this was obviously the most lopsided poll. What did the fans think? Uh, 95% Spencer oh Lee. Oh, my gosh. Uh, feel, feel bad for Darian because he was very good that year. Yeah, he had a great season. Pulled, pulled a huge upset off. You beat one win. of the guys in this bracket, yes. the sixth seed, Thomas Gilman. Um, and Gilman went into that tournament, one of the biggest favorites yes. in the whole tournament. No question. With no Soriano, who was the only person that had really given him a tough match. Remember, he he beat uh, Piccinini pretty soundly in the duel. He majored he him. He majored him he did. in the duel. Yeah. See you at the Nationals. Very cliche. He majored him, pinned him in the quarters, and then beat him pretty bad for the third, too. He uh, the the quarters was kind of crazy. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. he took him down. Pitch took him down, and I'm pretty sure he tilted, tilted him. him. It was four yeah, zero pitch, and then Gilman's pace was 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 just unreal. And that's when he told him to meet him in the parking lot afterwards too. And he's like, he "Bro, you really don't want to see me anywhere." Getting popped in the head. He was. He's like, he's not. It's not physical. It's dirty. Classic. Watch the Gilman film. You've got nothing but time. Ben takes Spencer as well. Okay, controversial decision. <laughs> All right, go to the next one. All right, let's go to the two seed. Anthony Robles against Nathan Tomasello. This one was closer, mm-hmm. um, but I, I think we'll all agree with on this one. Robles was so good that year. He was 
pretty much automatic on top. Yes. And, I mean, he probably got taken down less than 10 times that year. Oh, yeah. Probably less than five. And I, I would say Robles is a real wrinkle here. And we'll get down to the finals, I guess, a little bit later. But I've got I've got Robles over Thomas Hill. I've been there. Uh, I see him moving, but I don't know if he can hear us. I think him and LJ are just troubleshooting. Gotcha. We have this whole little board in front of us. It like kind of shows all the things they're working on. He can hear us. He, I he said, "Oh, I can hey. hear you guys. I hear him." Oh, what do you do? How'd you? What? You guys are clear. I don't know. All right, let's go. All, all right. right, here we go. Did so you, guys, you got you did got you guys over Spencer. You got Cruz over Spencer. <laughs> Come on, man. And then he has to pick Ro- – it's going to get interesting because – Well, really- no, you know, I almost literally – I just texted – Bracky just texted me. I went back and forth texting NATO, delete Robles, delete NATO. That's a tough matchup for Robles. I don't think so. Well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you why. There was only one type of person that Robles had trouble with that year. It was a short, stocky guy who could actually keep a game plan. And so there's two guys. One of them was Ben Kerr yes. from Utah Valley. The other one was Ryan Mango. They both did the same thing. Absolutely nothing. And they were actually really strong on bottom. So it got it was hard for them to hard for him to tilt them. If it was like a long lanky guy, they stood absolutely zero chance of beating him. So NATO could wrestle him. NATO was gonna wrestle him tough. Here's the thing. NATO on occasion had some real deficiencies underneath and it's true i think i think even if he got and what i what i was going to say about robles some of his vulnerabilities like short offense guys kind of gave him some trouble like even going mm-hmm. back to 2010 i want to say ncas he got ran around uh i think it was was it long was it long that beat yes. him that year yeah. Yeah, yeah so he had some short offense with nato very good short offense but even if he got a takedown you need NATO needs what, four or five points against Robles. I just don't see how that happens. Well, I mean, so here's the game plan against Robles. You know, so number one, obviously he his body efficient because he had to use almost all arms. So his arms would frequently get really, really tired. Um, and like in the Andrew Long match that you're talking about. And what happened his senior year was he developed two more takedowns that he didn't have his prior year which allowed him to get on top earlier, which then allowed him to rack up a whole bunch of points before he was able to get, before he got tired. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes sense. What so were the then takedowns? He would actually, uh, the main one he would do, it, it wasn't even, it wasn't anything that anyone else does. He would go to a seatbelt instead of a single leg. So right, seatbelt, the other guy's a wizard. And he would knife this hand behind the back leg in front of this one and he would roll them through. Yeah. And it was like super effective. And... You know, so before that, he would just try to go to a single leg. If they got for a headlock, he would spin through. Um, and then when he developed that other takedown, it was like, oh man, this really, this really works a lot for you. Um, and he, he was able to get on top underneath, right? If you yeah, to get that, and so he developed a few more options from bottom. But NATO, like I said, this is what Karen and Ryan Mango did. They, they kind—I of, don't want to say stalled, right? But they, they chose not to engage very much. And try to get him more tired. And that was kind of the game plan. That's what I feel like NATO would be tough for him to get to. It is an interesting thing when yeah. you think about it. So, like, imagine if your arms were your legs and, like, that's how you were moving. And, like, the idea of how much energy they had to expend is, is kind of – I haven't even thought about that. And I remember him talking about, a, yeah. like, doing a workout with Sean Charles where he – or maybe it was Sean Charles. Maybe it was Lee Pritz. I yeah, probably Sean. 
Yeah, just like the, doing the arm bike like like crazy. Yep. And that's how he would build his endurance. But even still, the, those, the arms are just not designed for that, no matter They're how not. much you train them. So I guess he just had to just go insane uh, to be able to sustain that. Kind of crazy. Yeah. The other one who I looked at in this bracket, who, who I know would give Anthony a lot of problems, but they're not matched up, is uh, Gilman. Gilman. Gilman would have given Anthony a whole bunch of problems because he's disciplined in his positioning, and he's so strong on bottom. And you know, To your point about uh, NATO on bottom, can you hear me? We yeah, good? I can hear you. I just uh, okay. He I, disagreed with something he said. I disagree a little bit. Oh, Gil- Gilman can you, get okay. turned. I mean, Gil- Gilman. Hold on. No, no, wait. You gotta let me make my point. Is okay. against Robles if they were on bottom. The whole point is they don't have to get away. They just have to hold, be strong enough to hold position, right? So you give up the idea that you're gonna get away to just hold position and try to win a match. So. Gilman can yo do this in whole position. Really, Gilman really would well never ever do that though. That was why he, that's why he got into so much trouble against Lezak because he's just like he will keep a game plan, but on bottom he's going to try to get away, right? And that's why he got turned think, so much by Lezak. I think I think it's a bad matchup, and he's also lanky. I don't understand why you think that. Gilman? I mean, I think so. He's not but, like super stubby, he's not like but McDonough, he's not. But, yeah, he's not like, and so that's like McDonough was just his arms were too long. He, they were going to get pulled in no matter what against uh, Anthony. Man, uh, man, I remember that year. I guess we'll get to it at some point. The McDonough, McDonough Robles thing, but the Tyler Clark was at Iowa that year, and Tyler Clark yeah. had a win over 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 Robles. And everyone was yes. like, "Oh, they're gonna have Iowa's gonna have the game plan because they have Clark there." And Clark, it didn't. Maybe whether they worked with him or not on it, or Tyler helped, it did not seem to matter. Yeah, Robles won ha- uh, handily. Yeah, and, oh. and to that point, the point is that uh, we talked about. We kind of talked about this, but he had not. Anthony had nine losses as a junior. Like he he didn't have a great year. And then that transition as senior year was in my opinion. And I was coaching him. So I got to watch. I don't, I didn't really help him. Cause I don't know how to wrestle with one leg. He, he was smart to figure it out on his own. Um, you know, Brian Stith helped him a lot, but he developed a couple more takedowns. That was, that was the game changer for him. Yeah. The sooner that guy got on top, the, the better it was for him and the worse it was for everyone else. So, Unanimous Robles over NATO, though Ben uh, struggled with that one somehow. It's going to be close, like a four-three or so, you know five-three. Okay, four. all right. I don't think he's going to turn him. I think NATO's going to you know be strong enough to stay out. So it's going to be Spencer turned him. Spencer turned him, and, and Robles won't. Oh wait, really? No, yeah. he tilted in him. the semis. Oh, only one time. Well, he also probably- <laughs> he also didn't get away from Spencer the first time they wrestled. Yeah. Okay. Damn it. Maybe maybe Robles is going to turn him. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and that version of Robles was better oh than the freshman version of Spencer Lee. Yes. Yeah. You're right. Damn oh it. Boy. Okay. <laughs> you guys are right. Shoot. <laughs> it's okay. All right. Next one. Uh, next one would be uh, Matt McDonough, 2012 version, against the 2017 version of Thomas Gilman. You're three versus six. So it's easy to say McDonough, just given that the he did it and he did it twice and, and Gilman never did. Uh, I think it's a pretty safe one. You know, McDonough never had an undefeated season. Obviously, either did either did uh, 
either did Gilman, but he he won some really good brackets. And the easy way to just justify it is McDonough's better than Nico, who's better than Gilman, right? Like Nico, yeah, beat Gilman in in freestyle routinely, and McDonough never lost to Nico in folk style. So I think it's just pretty simple, simple math there. Yeah. Um, and th- this is the junior version of McDonough, correct? The healthy one that was really good. Junior. Yeah, uh, this is no, that would be his sophomore year. Wait, no, tw- no you're right. Twenty twelve right. will be junior. Yep. Yeah, junior year McDonough. He beat Nico uh, in the finals. He went like I have the bracket pulled up here. He went fall, fall, again. major over Ryan Mango, major over Nick Bedleon, and then beat Nico four one. Do you remember that Bedleon Delgado? quarterfinal Ben yeah it was an abject uh, disaster <laughs> just a, a, an officiating officiating malpractice it was just the worst thing ever I think literally the guy the ref like didn't officiate anymore it was it was really really bad this was a uh, freshman he retired Delgado, right Maybe? I, I don't remember but I just remember there was like serious, this was before I worked at flow but I just remember there was like major fallout from it yes this was this was the year that McDonough lost to Delgado in the duel at Carver, and then it's like it's looking like it's going to be a McDonough Delgado semi, and Bedleon wins a crazy match. And I think that I can't remember the, all the details, but I think Bedleon was like the the justified winner. But the, the way it was officiated was totally crazy. And yeah, Matt McDonough matched up great against Bedleon, and then Nico in the finals there. So you've got McDonough over Gilman. I think it's a a pretty Dang close match, but I think McDonough gets in on one of those single legs. I think he maybe rides Gilman, although Ben Ben maybe won't agree with that. I I think McDonough is really good here and, and wins this match. Someone brought up a great point that Gilman gasses people from bottom mm. on Facebook. He does. Michael DeMoss. Good point by Michael. Oh, no. We lost him again. Sugar. Well, it was fun. We had a little three-minute run there with Ben. Not bad. We got to. It was working so well. We got to get some inside scoop from uh, when he when he kind of coached. I'm doing my best, but I can I can barely hear you guys. Can you oh, hear me? Oh, now he's now he's back. Okay, what's the next one, Bracky? Uh, the ne- by the way, that one on uh, Twitter, 54 percent in favor of Matt McDonough. Uh, Twitter's pretty good. The next the next one, uh, your four seed 2014 version of Jesse Delgado against the 2016 version of your five seed Nico Megalutis. Mm. Five-seeded Nico. Nico struggled with uh, NATO. That was kind of like his his kryptonite. Delgado beat Nico, literally at NCAAs. Uh, yeah, Ben's gone. We lost Ben. I think tomorrow, well, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't even know where we're going to be, what room we're going to be in. We're but so ho- screwed. <laughs> but hopefully by tomorrow we will have uh, like a cell phone situation that we can do or something like that. Um Sion just hey, go fix in. the problem. Hey, Sion, don't you have work to do? Sion, so Sion, while people are working, likes to walk around the office and be like, ain't y'all got work to do? While he's literally not working. And here is Sion Williams literally not working. Sion, we are live, so just know that. What's up, buddy? Of course I'm working. I'm in the office, you know. One of the few people in the office. I just got done with my first meeting. That was at 8.30. We got done a little earlier on. I got three minutes to kill before my nine o'clock meeting, so you know, hey, it's always so, working. May as well drop in. So three minutes. What's uh? We'll fix wait, wait, our tech, hey, is tech issues. Right now, you know, I stop in here 
to visit you guys, you know, get get say hello to the fans out there. There's Don't a lot of Sion. Again. There's a lot of Sion fans out there. Now, I think, Bracky, here's my theory. Okay. Sion's getting a little quarantine lonely. He's missing his boys. He doesn't want to admit it, but Sion, you miss us, don't you? Well, everybody misses a pain in the rear every now and then. You know? <laughs> we'll take wow. it. We'll take it. So you got three minutes before your next meeting. Are you even What's listening? up, Ben? He's not there. Oh. It's just an illusion. They're having, a hard, they're having a hard time with uh, the internet. Uh, since Actually, at home yesterday, my internet, you know, I have the Google, not Google, uh, AT&T Fiber. I started having internet problems. Today. My Everyone. It was starting to drop. Everyone's having internet it's problems. because everyone's like, on it. Yeah, there's, they need to, like, back up the bandwidth. It's like, I think it's like a nationwide problem. They were saying yesterday they couldn't take phone calls from people on the East, or, like, Skype calls from East Coast people because just, like, there was, like, East Coast outage for internet. So that, even the comic book industry just in, industry just shut down. You oh know, my they're not gosh! Mail comic books no more. How is that not considered an essential industry? I don't yeah, know, hospitals man. and law enforcement. You can't mail them anymore. Not, well, they're not made the, they're not printing uh, any comic books at the moment. Oh, they're stopped and they're not. This is good for notice. you. You know that, this right? This is not good for me. This is no, bad. For listen, me. I was li- trying to sell more comic books during this time. Listen, Sion, if there's now scarcity. And you are the owner of all comic books, okay? As there is scarcity, that means the value is going up. Well, technically, a lot of people order books that I can't ship right now. <laughs> okay, well, I don't know what to tell you about that. Yeah, I know. All right, all I, right. I'm going to get back to my well, Okay, fine. I won't even ask you. There goes Sion. What's up? What do you need? I was going to ask you um, a question. Who do you ha- Who would win this match? The 2014 version of Jesse Delgado or the 2016 version of Nico Megalutis? Say 2016. Yeah, the year Nico won versus the last time uh, Delgado won. You know, every one of those guys, this match was always a barn burner where it was just one right. move away from being over. Um, I think Nico wrestled a little more cautiously his senior year and wrestled smarter. Um, I think he'd win because in all his matches that he lost Delgado, is literally he was in on a shot and something funky happened and. Yeah. There's, there's the, there were the points. That's a fair one. You're the first person to say Nico in in our discussions, but you're friends with Kale Sanderson, who coached Nico Megalis. Why, why, why you got to bring Kale up, man? You, you, you always got to find a way to say Kale. Well, I'm saying. I, I think you're a closet Kale fan, and you just want to. It's not a closet. He's great. One of the best ever. He'd still probably be on the team if he kept wrestling. All right, there goes Sion. All right, he's gone. Okay. So we did 125, I think. So the semis are set, and they are Bracky. Spencer Lee versus Jesse Delgado, mm-hmm. and Anthony Robles versus who? Oh, J- Matt McDonough. Yes. We've kind of seen that one. Okay. I, uh, so I, I guess I was confused on how we were doing this. I thought we were doing one day, so I only put one weight class out on Twitter. We should have done all three, but I didn't yeah. know that either. Yeah. I know that's what Ben wanted to do. So, well, it's okay. We have plenty of time to rectify, to right this wrong, so we will do that. We can still see what the people think. We can see what the people think. Um, we'll we'll put it out there. The other the other polls. All right, let's go. Do you want to go into the 2011 NCAA wrestling bracket? This will be sad because Ben's not there to do this. Um, yeah, and he would have great memories because he was coaching this year. This was the year uh, Arizona State really balled out. They had three All Americans, two champs, and uh, ended up with a top ten finish. But we'll we'll proceed without Ben and in hopes that we can 
retain him at some point tomorrow. So 2011 bracket, I guess we'll start at 125 pounds, mm-hmm. which is a weight we already discussed uh, a little bit because two of the winners were in this bracket, or two champions uh, were in here with Matt McDonough and Anthony Robles, a highly anticipated uh, NCAA final. But any anything stick out for the early rounds here? Not a lot stood out to me, honestly. Yeah, I think this one kind of went uh, chalk here early, which uh, is a little surprising given the other years, that the craziness we've seen in those early rounds. We had Alan Waters did go down first round. He was the 10 seed to Zanetta of Pitt. One of these years is the year that we'll get to that one. He won't want to yeah, talk about it. Yeah, he definitely won't want to talk about it. He'll, he'll like, skip that show. He will skip that <laughs> season altogether. I think that was the t- 2012. But – Looking at this, oh, this is a reminder. This is a huge year. This is the time. Uh, this was the first year Penn State won uh, in Kale. This was Kale's second year there, and it all came together for him. I don't – did they win Big Tens this year? It was a really close one. I do not recall. I think they did win. I think they did win Big Tens, but it was a really, really close match. Or close. It came down to, like, final rounds. I think there was a Penn Ramos – a, a Ramos uh, – Match that was really big in that one, so it was it was a crazy Big Tens and a crazy. NCAAs. They won by a point over Iowa. Oh my gosh! Holy, God. they had five Big Ten champs. That's insane. So, what what I remember about 125 was the McDonough Preason semi, and Preason. If you guys don't know Brandon Preason, Northwestern, he, this guy was a total stud. I'm pretty sure he was a three or four time All American. Mm-hmm. He was in the mix to win a couple times. He beat Robles the year before after Robles beat him earlier in that that tournament. Preston had beaten McDonough this year and the I want to say the Midlands. And then I think McDonough got it back in a crazy Big Ten finals where he won this epic scramble to win Big Tens. But Preston really had handled it, and, and he made it tough for him. Even at Big Tens, he Preston just matched up well. He's so good positionally. McDonough had a hard time getting to him, but he gets a quick takedown and ends up winning three one. He got the takedown right out, I think, in the first period, if I'm remembering that correctly. So that was that was an exciting one. But yeah, it really kind of went sort of chalk here. Um, well, Ben Ben Carr was your care. How do you pronounce it? Uh, was your big bracket buster? Yes, and as he as uh, Ben mentioned, like. Really short, stocky, positionally sound. He was quick. He was strong. And he matched up well. The, the side of the bracket he wound up on, He it was not an easy draw because he had Steve no. Bonanno in round one for Hostra. Steve was really tough. Then James Nicholson was the one. He was kind of like one of those four seeds where you're like, really, is this the four? Okay, sure, but maybe not. And uh, he kind of had a, a, a nice schedule. And then Kerr goes through Nicholson of ODU. And then Zach Sanders the next round to make the semis, where he gave Robles his closest match of the tournament, a four-two loss to Robles there. Yeah, I I remember he was on, he was just on fire that tournament. Yes, yeah, he had a really good one. He was one of those guys that were you know every year there's a guy that kind of the crowd loves. Yeah, yeah. The year before it was Robles. St. Louis was going crazy for him that that year. Remember that was the year that Zach. We mentioned this. Zach Sanders. Oh, yeah. that was stomped on him, and he got bad. a point taken away, and he got booed really hard. People were really mad about yeah, that. That was yeah. The message boards lit up in that day. Uh, on that day, and then 
Uh, so that was 125. We talked about the Robles McDonough final. Robles got an early takedown and a turn, and you're like, okay, this is this is over. And I remember it was cool. There was a flow video of it was Damian Han and J Rob were like standing there together, and I think Martin or someone just had a camera on them, and they're just like showing them get the turn. And as soon as it gets a turn, either J Rob or Damian like it's over, like the match was over. And it was literally like that. Was, everyone that watched it when it's happened when he got that turn. You knew it was like, this match is over. Like, you're just not going to be able to come back from this yep. deficit. And McDonough, despite his efforts, he never got really close to scoring on him. Robles was just that good that year. 133, this was one of Jordan Oliver's. This is maybe, this is up there for J.O.'s best season, I think. Because he was very dominant this year. He was only a sophomore. And this was a tough bracket. J.O. went pin over Tyler Small, then pin over Levi Millet, 10-2 over Mike Gray. It's really impressive. 10-2 is a sophomore against a, a senior, a real beast in Mike Gray. And then 5-2 over Graf, no problem. And then 8-4 over Hochstrasser, no problem. Right, This is just like he cruised through this. And he was, I think he was a Hodge finalist this year. He was he was just unreal this season. I mean, there was just no one in his stratosphere, which is what made the next year when he loses to Logan, and we'll get to that all the more surprising because if one thing it's mentioned, everyone it goes it all goes back to the takedown and that controversy. But what people forget is Jordan handled him at national duels mm-hmm. that year. It was not a close match. I think he even turned him. He maybe almost pinned him. It was. So to see him lose that match, even for that match to be that close, was really a, a huge credit to Logan Steber. And that was such a big upset. It's like the controversy surrounds it, but people forget that was just a really big upset for, for Logan Steber to have pulled that off. Yeah, this is a really crazy bracket. Like, a lot of depth. You had, you know, Tony Ramos was your sixth seed. BJ Futrell was your ninth seed. Devin Carter was your uh, – or BJ Futrell was seven. Devin Carter was nine. Yeah. Uh, so you had a lot of – a lot of really good, really good dudes in here. Andrew Long was a three, Graf the four. Yeah, really tough weight. And looking, uh, so I remember Sintes. So Ramos had a pigtail. He had Frank Cagnina of Lehigh, who was really tough. And then he won his next match over Oklahoma. And then he had Sintes, and Sintes rode him out and beat him. And then I set that up to set up the round, a crazy round of 12 match where. He had Lou Ruggarello of Hofstra. Lou Ruggarello was a beast. He was like, there were different points in his career. He was ranked number one in the country at 133. He was like a double leg rider, arm bars, power up, just a monster on top. And But he never hit placed. He'd, he was like round of 12 and right there. He had high seeds and just couldn't, couldn't get on the podium. And so it was Ruggarello versus Ramos in the round of 12. And they called him King Lou. King Lou jumped out to a big lead early on, and Ramos was running him down and running him down. I think there was even a bunch of blood times in it, and Ramos ends up losing 8-7, and that's why Tony's not a, a, a four-time All-American. Ruggarello held on to win a really crazy match against T-Ram. So I remember that vividly because it was like, oh, is this comeback going to happen? Is, yeah. it, is it happening? And he just wasn't able to to quite finish it. This is a sad one for, for, the, for the Hokie fan in me is – Devin Carter lost in the round of 12 here after having a pretty high seed and a really good true freshman season. And that's when you started hearing it's like, yeah, he he won't be at 133 ever again because he's too dang big. 
I pre- or, but I guess he was. Did he go back there one more year? Because he beat he beat Tony Ramos at some point. I'm about to find out. Maybe he did. Yeah, the he next placed year. At 33. Yeah, the next year. Well, dang. Okay, so I guess he did stay at uh, 33 one more year. Okay, any other thoughts on 133 pounds, Kyle Bradkey? No, this is a really good bracket. Uh, Sintas went on a little bit of a run on the backside beat. Peter Kinn in the uh, round of 12, then beat Futrell and Graf in back-to-back matches. I remember at the time when he when Long pinned him. It was kind of a crazy match, and then I'm pretty sure Long ended up with a, a chin and arm cow catcher and packed him, was, or maybe pulled him off from... I think he pulled him off yeah. from the legs. Yeah, he got a little too high and pulled him over. Yes, maybe that's what happened. But it was like a big, big moment in the... Team races, the team race was pretty interesting throughout, and it was not a foregone conclusion that Penn State was going to win it, right? They had to, you know, someone like Quentin Wright win the tournament, which was not, even though he won Big Tens and some people were picking him, he was still the 11th seed. So that was a wild one. Kellen Russell, y'all don't know, but he had quite a run here. He had this reputation of just being able to find ways to win these really close matches, and you could, he was so hard to take down. And... What we have here is one of the most, and I think about this, if this match happened, if you thought the Nolf Hydley thing was like controversial, the Marion Russell uh, calls, no takedown calls for, for Montel Marion were wild. And there, I mean, I remember Bobby Douglas like made a video about this. <laughs> he was so mad that they didn't call the takedowns for Montel Marion against Kellen Russell in this NCAA semi. It was, it was a really crazy one. And, Kellen Russell won back-to-back matches in tiebreakers, 3-3. Yep. Do you uh, remember Montel's crazy match with Jimmy Kennedy I was just here? about to bring that yeah. up. So, Marion beats Kennedy 8-7. This match was on YouTube. I don't know if it still is, but it was similar to the Ruggarella-Ramos match where just big lead. It was very Iowa style. Like, big lead. Kennedy just looked like, all right, this dude's just winning. He looked way better than Marion. And Marion just kept coming, kept coming. He had a couple, like, or he had at least one edge takedown where he, like, like hits a goal behind, just had his arms behind behind Kennedy's arms and just gets the takedown. It was, it was insane. The thing that always sticks with me about that match is when he got the takedown, remember he got the takedown on the stall call, like, yes. simultaneously? He did not know that he won. Like, he was, like, walking back to the middle. I think he thought sudden, sudden victory. victory. Right, and then, like, the Iowa corner celebrating. Then you see it, like, click that he won, and yeah. he just went nuts. It, it was an insane moment. It was wild. It was a it was a great, great match. And, uh, yeah, it set up that semi with Kellen Russell. And Kel- Montel had given – Montel probably matched up as good against Kellen Russell as really anyone did because basically no one could score on Kellen from neutral. Kellen could get away from everyone. I can't remember seeing him turned – other than when he got pinned in a tilt the year before, <laughs> yeah. That was- but basically, he had no, he had really no weaknesses other than sometimes his offense wasn't wasn't quite there. But he was so good defensively, and he had he was unreal athletic, uh, athletically. But Marion could challenge him, but Russell got it done there, and he won over Novachkov three two on the other side. The other big storyline out of this one was. Andrew Alton not placing. Mm-hmm. Alton had a great true freshman season. He was like leading the country in pins. He was pinning everyone in the first period. And then he loses to Novachkov 2-0 and then drops down. He got upset by Kimmer 
of Penn. Now, Zach Kemmerer was a really big uh, recruit coming out of high school. Never really just, it never really got it going the way you thought maybe he would coming into his NCAA career. And I'm pretty sure Alton that year had beat him at least twice, both by bonus. He had, like, pinned him and majored him. Then he lost to Kemmer 5-4 in the round of 12. And that would be the the last time we would see Alton even get close to placing. He was a zero-time All-American, which at that time is just an un, that is an unthinkable yeah. sentence to utter. Like, you have no idea. Like, the this was one of the most talked-about wrestlers that year. I mean, everyone was just – he hit the duck against Stephen Dutton. Like, Alton was just a sensation. And, you know, his brother was in redshirt that year, so it was just all the focus was on Andrew. And then Andrew would redshirt the next year. But he never, but through a series of injuries and other things, he never, he was never able to place. But really good wrestler, didn't get it done there. But he was super, super good, and that was a big surprise for for that season. Okay, uh, the, <clears throat> sorry. Another thing that was uh, kind of crazy: Tyler Nauman, Josh Kindig, first round, a young Josh Kindig. Yes, yes, Kindig unseated. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kendrick was unseated going into NCAA's two years, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. And then he, what was the seed he made? He made the finals out A of. Nine it was crazy, or something? yeah. Low, maybe worse than that. Okay, forty nine. Now, the weight won by Kyle Dake, and you have to remember, at at this point in time, we you you are just looking at Kyle Dake completely differently dirt, coming into this tournament. Kyle Dake is not thought of as this like ultra gamer super competitor that's like no matter what when the when the stakes are highest this guy's going to rise to the occasion. We didn't really that wasn't really known at that point, right? We were just like he's really good. He's a freshman NCAA champ. He's up at a weight and he's not having as good a year as he was or not the years that he would go on to have, right? He had lost in the EIWA finals to LaValle. He lost earlier that year to Donnie Vinson. He was the four seed here, and, and rightly so. And the the wrestling community was really split on this because uh, the one seed, you have Darian Caldwell. Now, mm-hmm. what you're not maybe don't remember is Darian Caldwell, he earned the one. I, I'm not sure if he would earn the one under the current seeding criteria. I doubt he would. He missed a lot of time. He was undefeated but had a very limited schedule, did not have a ton of elite-ranked wins that season. He did win NCAA, or He did win ACCs that year, but at that point we were not really you know, sure what he was. And at ACCs I was like, this is a different guy. Even though he he was winning, he was not able to like generate offense the way we had seen him do when he was the guy that pulled the upset of the century when he beat Brent Metcalf. So he beats Ivan Lupachansky in round one, and then he has Erica Hollis next and loses by injury default. There was Hollis was winning the match, and then his shoulder came out, and that was it. And of course, Caldwell had struggled with shoulder injuries yep. for for quite some time. So Caldwell comes out, and then that kind of really. Clears the path for Dake, you could say, but I don't think that that version of Darren Caldwell probably can can hang with Kyle Dake regardless. Yeah. Uh, Gambayar Sanja was the guy that kind of took advantage of uh, Caldwell not being there. He moved into semis and then went on to finish fourth. He had a great tournament. Um, let's see. Donnie Vince in the nine seed lost first round. You had uh, Justin Gaethy, Gambayar Sanja round one. 
Yeah. Uh, that's pretty wild. Jamal Parks, Danny Zilverberg, round one. Uh, Zilverberg. I was, love Jamal was great. Parks. He yeah. Was, I always was like, this guy is so good, and he never. I don't think he ever placed, even when he was the two seed. I think he did one time. Really? There was, yeah. There was one bracket we were looking at. Yeah, he took fifth this year. Oh, okay. Yeah. This year. Great. Yeah. So he so, got on the podium. And then this is the season where Dake Molinero. Monero chose down. I choose down. Oh boy, that was that was a uh, that was a big meme. Dake, yeah, Dake, yes Dake had like six minutes, six and a half minutes of riding time, mm-hmm. it, and he took bottom, and then he got a reversal, like a switch, and immediately, and it was diabolical. And now, Dake did not give up a point the entire tournament until this match when he gave up a penalty point for something he was doing with uh, on top against Monero, which I. Still not really sure what that was about. Um, but, yeah, crazy, crazy one. And then from then on, Dake would never lose again. After that EIWA loss, he would have two straight undefeated seasons. Spoiler alert. So, yeah, great, great tournament there for him. And then 57, oh, my gosh. So this was crazy because you had three <laughs> undefeated guys coming into this year at 2011. And Hall was kind of like – the preseason guy that was ranked the highest, and, and then you had Steve Fittery, then you had David Taylor, who I think a lot of people thought was going to win. I thought he was going to win this tournament, yeah. running away with it. And Taylor makes it to the finals. He goes through DSJ six three. Saint John always wrestled Taylor tough. I think he even, I think it was the Big Ten finals. He might have had a two takedown lead or a takedown on a long ride or something like that. But Taylor just he's had this way of just scoring points. When he needed to against St. John, who who had would become an NCAA champion and have a really, really strong career. So but then Taylor pieces up Fittery, who was just like barnstorming. Fittery, Fittery went 19-4, 23-7 in a fall. He was so much fun to watch. He was amazing. He just did crazy stuff yes. all the time. He did mixers. <laughs> he was like throw caution to win. He would try throws when he was up big. He was just like trying to score points all the time. And you know what was the crazy thing about Steve Fittery? Like, he was at Shippensburg, which is a D2 or D3 school in, like, central Pennsylvania. I guess central. I call it central. Maybe it's not. And he, they wanted him to, like, cut to 49. And he's like, I don't want to cut down to 49. And so he's like, well, we want you to. So he's like, okay, I'm transferring. So he transfers, and he's like a monster at 157. And I'm just thinking, what were those coaches thinking? Let Steve right. Fittery wrestle where he wants to wrestle. Look how good this guy is, and they, they totally messed that up. And then Fittery goes on to be a two-time All-American for American and Mark Cody. He makes a semis here, but Taylor just had it all over him. Yeah, a lot of a lot of fun names in this bracket, though. Uh, of course, Adam Hall loses to Jason Welch in the quarters. Um, Bubba J comes from the four seed to do what we know he does. Uh, the Bat Out of Hell, Matt Cathell. Versus Jesse Dong oh <laughs> round one. Uh, Little Rock head coach Neil Ayersman drew David Taylor first round. I remember looking. Neil Ayersman had really tough draws. I did. I think maybe in the 2010 season, I was like, "Geez," because I knew he had Taylor in round one, mm-hmm. and then I can't recall, but I'm pretty sure he had like someone else really good early in his uh, tournament last year. Frank Higman from Bloomsburg was good. Yes, and he had Derek St. John first round. That was 11-7. Bryce Sedoris, Jackson Morris. Jackson uh, Morse was really good. Yeah, I think he all Americaned uh, before Eventually. his time was done. Yeah, not this year. Um, 
So a lot of really good first round matchups here. So yes, and then that all sets up the epic Bubba J. Yep. David Taylor final, where it starts a little slow. There's not a lot going on, and then it makes it to the second period, and then a shot from David Taylor sets up the cradle from Bubba. He rolls through, gets the pinfall. That was one of the loudest moments I can remember in NCAA's. It was. Were you there? I was not there this year. It was insane. It was. It was on par with, uh, with Caldwell Metcalf. I still think Moisey pinning Gilman may be louder than all of them. That, that was, was that was insane. It was crazy. One one of them that one of them that's up there too that probably doesn't get talked about a lot uh, in this kind of aspect is when Nickel pinned Moz Martin. That place oh was gosh. bananas because that everyone knew that decided the team title. It's most iconic. And Martin had him on. It's back for a second. Yes. So the Ohio State people were going crazy. Yeah. That was bananas. That was yeah. That's probably maybe the wildest finish ever. So Jenkins gets the pin. He shoots the ankle bracelets, uh, and then he proceeds to for the next month or two make <laughs> these amazing YouTube videos where he was probably but definitely drunk. And oh, he yeah, he was showing dr- everybody the Hennessy. He's drinking Hennessy yeah. out of a styrofoam <laughs> cup, and. Um, just he would give away he would give out awards he did I, I liked it because he like he'd be like all right this one i'm going to talk about the fastest wrestlers i ever wrestled oh and yeah he, and this one's and then this next list was the strongest guys i ever wrestled yes i think he thought i remember him saying mike poeta he's fast <laughs> he's like he's like i don't know he talked about him being white and really fast um yeah, I think he said C.P. Schlater was really strong, too. And he said uh, Lance Palmer, I remember, which obviously he was jacked. Yeah, Lance Palmer was strong. Yeah, we, we, should, <laughs> we should put those in. Those videos were great. Um, he was very candid. And he had his uh, NCAA championship trophy right behind right him. Right by him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. He must have been a, he must have been a treat uh, to coach. I'm, I, I can't imagine why it didn't work out with him and, him and Kale. <laughs> Okay. I mean, that was the, like, I mean. I mean, that's, yeah, uh, guys, that's, that's the thing we're not saying. That's up there with um, with Caldwell Metcalf is, like, one of the most, I don't know, iconic. I don't, I don't know if that's the right word, but just, like, it definitely one of the biggest upsets, right? Oh, yeah. Huge upset. I was, like, I remember, I was, like, I was telling my brother, I was, like, Weston. Because Weston, my brother, wanted wanted Bubba to win. He's from Virginia. I was like, David is going to tech him. I was like, this dude lost to an NAIA guy this year. It's like, I know he's doing well right now, but like, I promise you, dude, he's going to smash him. And then, you know, I think, I think Bubba even says like some big brother stuff, like the, from back when David first got on campus, Bubba was like beating him. Nomad put it in the chat. Do you remember yesterday or the day before? Uh, their match from like the East Stroudsburg Open. Yeah. Um, when David was in red shirt. Yes. Um, but Bubba did kind of big brother him there. He was never really close to scoring. Right. Yeah. So I still I didn't see I did not think that was going to happen. That's what made the moment so surprising and incredible for for all the wrestling fans there. It was it was a sensation. There were, there were so many storylines out of this. <laughs> ben found the video and put it in the in the chat. Of Bubba J message to the champs. Only forty five hundred <laughs> views. So in the background, there's like a Welch's white grape juice bottle, a bottle of Hennessy. 
He's got a his cup wh- says champ on it. Too. He's got a white styrofoam cup that he wrote champ on. Um, I hey, I have a, a Bubba J Squad shirt like the one he's wearing that says free Bubba. Um, okay, <laughs> man, I'm I need to talk to. We need Ben back tomorrow. We're gonna have a special edition, just like Ben Askren telling Bubba Jenkins stories. So get ready for that, Ben, because we're going to need you to tell Bubba Jenkins stories because I can imagine they are outstanding. His real name is Jesse, by the way. A little, little Bubba Jenkins trivia for you guys. Then six Virginia Beach? Virginia Beach, baby. Yeah. Went to a couple different high schools. I think first Colonial and nah, – I'm not even going to say it. Some, the, the Virginia people will yell at me. Jordan Burroughs ran through this weight class. Holy cow. This is when this was uh, when we're like, okay, I guess maybe he might make the team, huh? Because remember, Andrew Howe had made a team. I forget which year, right? Andrew Howe did make a team, right? I'm not crazy. I don't know. I might be wrong about that. But Andrew Howe was absolutely senior level relevant at this point in time. And Burroughs runs through the bracket. Of course, Howe had that hamstring injury, as we all know, and didn't make the finals against Burroughs. But Burroughs goes 23-7 over Ethan Headley. Then he won by injury default over Justin Lister. Do you remember this match? I don't. Actually. Okay, I remember watching it, and Lister straight up just quit this match. Like he just like walked off the mat. I remember like thinking I was sitting with with Zach, my wrestler, and Wes, and, and we just we just loved watching Burroughs because he was just like <laughs> it was just so clear he was just on a different like level than everyone. And Lister just like stopped wrestling. He was just getting beaten so badly. I, um, it, it was bad. <laughs> and he just walked off the mat. I I remember that. Then Winston Scott Winston was like a total beast coming out of high school. He was he was like number one in the country, and never he never placed at Rutgers, but he was always pretty good. Bros teched him twenty three to eight, and then he beats Colt Bonseller. 14 to 6 and then 11 3 over Tyler Caldwell. Very impressive. Uh how did not make a team but he had just come off of winning the US Open in 2010. Right. And was a junior world bronze. He was a trials finalist at least a couple times coming into that. Yes, in 2010 and 11. And there was a, this was the trials final this year, 2011. Yeah, uh, cuz yep. Burroughs beat him and this is this is when they were pretty close. Uh in, in terms of like how much how was able to push him. I think he took a period from him back in the stupid ball draws days. But there was not not a ton else going on here. Do you remember anything else super interesting? Brandon Hatchett was unseeded still. Uh, and next year he would make the finals and get teched by Taylor. That was disrespectful. That was. Highly. Uh, Begsod was unseeded at this point. Lost round one to Justin Kerber. But Begsod would go on to do much bigger things. Yes, he would. Then 74, this was the Ed Ruth knee-locked-up year against uh, Nikamucha Stegui. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Ed was the two-seed. He had lost to – do you remember who he lost to? I do now. I do not into the this. top of my head. He lost to Mike Letts at the Nittany Lion uh, Open. Okay. and But otherwise was just unreal. He had won the scuffle over Heinrich and Lunas. Which is really, really good. So he got one one big tens, no problems. I thought he was going to win this weight running away. Um, I was 
just like basically all in on Penn State winning everything they entered at this point. I was like, I was kind of like a. So you were an early believer. Early adopt, yes. Coming in, remember, fantasy wrestling was all <laughs> I thought about. So I watched. Oh, here's why I was a big Ed Ruth guy. So I I was watching so much, and this was like coming into it. And I drafted Ed Ruth super late. I got him in like the 10th, 11th round because I watched him like basically like drill on Jordan Blanton in a freestyle match. I was like, this dude is just smashing Jordan Blanton. I was like, he is really good. I'm like, guys, this is going to be a dude. So I had him and Lunas. So I had Ed Ruth and Mac Lunas as my like 74 and flex wrestler. And I was like, Ed Ruth is super good. So I was all in on him. I was like just drafting as many Penn State guys <laughs> as I could. <clears throat> Did you foresee this run coming? From... From Penn State, the championship run they've been on. Ah, uh, I won't say that, but I just at this point I was kind of like, okay, this is going to happen because I mean, you look at how they were set up. I was like, they have Ruth Taylor and Wright for a whole other year after that, so they have that really strong nucleus, and they had Mal and Molinero was back yep. too. So I was like, yeah, probably so. Uh, it, it seemed like it at this point, but I, how how long? I mean, eight or nine? I mean, how who could it? Ever right. predicted yeah. that. It's true. But I was all in, yeah, for sure. I mean, they had four years of David Taylor and Ed Ruth. That is that's crazy. <laughs> so he Ed Ruth makes the quarters and has Nick Amuchastegui, who we've talked about the last couple of shows yeah. because he was a really good guy. He he always beat Nick Marable. I wish we could talk about Nick Amuchastegui. We could see the bit the pain in Ben's face one more time. <laughs> Maybe we'll bring it back up. But Amuchastegui beats Ruth. He was I think Ruth got the first takedown, maybe. He was he was in the match, and then Amuchastegui got a takedown, and he was really good with um, on top. I think he would, like, figure four or go, like, bow and arrow, and Ed's, like, knee locked up, and he had the injury default out. Ed would come back to wrestle back for third, which was big for the team race at that point because they needed him. He had, to, he had a pretty close match against... Uh, Scott Glasser, which kind of was like alerted that maybe he wasn't quite right coming into that tournament. And, uh, but yeah, he wrestles back for third. He beats Ben Bennett, who was a four time All American. He pinned him in 42 seconds, beat Heinrich 7 2, and then beat Mac Lunas uh, 6 2. That's an insane run for a dude that's not healthy. Yeah. And he got, he got third. So that was big. But John Reeder was the man this tournament. He goes through. Uh, he gets 13-3, 13-0, 8-2 over the aforementioned Mike Letts, who beat Ed Ruth. He beats Heinrich 4-3, really close match. And then balls out against Amuchastegui. Not a close competitive match. Um, and I, I remember it was funny because so we stayed at this terrible, terrible hotel in Philadelphia because it was like the only one in walking distance. And this place is so bad. I'm telling you guys, this place is so bad. That if you watch, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Okay, the when Mac gets Mac's dad gets out of prison and is going to kill Mac, or so they think. They show Mac's dad staying at this hotel. <laughs> so go back and watch it. And they show this like tower. That's the hotel we stayed at. It was so bad. So anyway, uh, we were walking to the thing, and we we're like with Nick Amuchastegui's parents. We just happened to be, they're wearing Stanford shirts, and we're, who knows what we're doing. But we end up talking to him. We're like, oh my gosh. So I'm like, I'm like, at this point, I'm like starstruck to be talking to a good wrestler's parents at that point. I thought that was so cool. And then they walked away, and then Weston's like, do you think he's going to win? I was like, no way. He's not going to beat John Reader. 
I didn't tell them that. You were right. But they're the ultimate winners because their kid – he won the Elite 88 two like times. two or three years Two or in three a row. times in a row, yeah. which is like the Elite 88, it's the 89 now. It's like basically the highest GPA in uh, for your sport for NCAA qualifiers. And he did it at Stanford as like an engineering major. It was like the ultimate flex. Uh, so good for Nikamucha Stegby. Second on the podium, but first. He appears to be doing well. He's do, he's doing good. He's a director of engineering at Watt Time. So good for Nick Amucha Stegwe. What a beast. Bet you didn't think you would get a LinkedIn update from <laughs> Nick Amucha Stegwe this episode. But that's just what you get on these deep dives. That's how deep we go. That's how deep we go. We literally pull up the LinkedIn pages. But Reader won this weight. Remember, Reader DMP'd the year before at 165. He goes up a weight. He was undefeated. Boom. Champ. National champ. Go Gladiator. Colby Covington got fifth, which, thank goodness, he did not win this weight. (laughs) Colby Covington's the worst. 184, Quentin Wright out of the nine seed wins this weight. He He beats John Fousey, who I was a huge John Fousey fan for Virginia. He was really tough. He kind of almost beat Chris Perry one time at the, not the Dapper Dan, the, what was the other thing? Oh, some sort Dream of, Team? Dream Team? Yeah. He gave uh, Perry a tough match, and of course he's a Virginia guy, so I always rooted for him, but he could not beat Quentin Wright. Then Wright had Steinhaus in the second round. Kevin Steinhaus was a beast. He was really, really good. Three, four-time All-American. Four-time All-American, I'm pretty sure. Uh, he had beaten Quentin that year. I think he he didn't tack him, but I think he majored him, tilted him up a bunch of times. Wright beat him again to set up the Honeycut match. Honeycut was a one seed. Wright, no problem there, 7-3. Then this sealed the team title for Penn State. It's Quentin Wright versus Grant Gambrell. Gambrell had beaten him that year at the duel at Rec Hall, which Iowa won, which is a crazy duel. And Wright pinned him. He threw him to his back, and then he ended up cradling him and pinning him. Yeah. That's when uh, Kale was on the mat, like slapping it for him to get pinned. It was, uh, it was electric. Very wild scene, and uh, Quentin makes the finals and ends up getting the Vermonster Robert Hamlin, who we had mentioned in the earlier shows. Is he was an unseated guy who would later on make two NCAA finals for the Lehigh Mountain Hawks. They're the Mountain Hawks, right? Yes, they are. The Hawks. You ever like say something you know is true, and then we're like, "What if they're you not?" Question yourself. Yeah. I know they're a bird. They're a bird of prey for sure. Um, what else did we have going on here? I remember Diego Bencomo really. Uh, I always liked him a lot, and Kirk Smith this year mm-hmm. was like super hurt, but everyone was like, "Dude, Kirk Smith is so good. He could literally win this weight. He was like the preseason number one." But they never quite finalist the year before. Yeah, he lost yeah. to Max. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we talked about that last show. Uh, so yeah, he was really good. Chris Perry lost to Robert Hamlin four two, and then Perry what is, was your seventh seed too. Yes. Oh, this he, <laughs> Chris Perry like tried to fight Kevin Steinhaus in the round of twelve. I remember that. <laughs> Chris Perry, you know that happened. Uh, I I forget what he did, but he got in trouble. He like I don't know if he hit him, but it was like. It was a really nasty match. Uh, he did not match up great. But then this was all great because it, it motivated him. He got down to 174 where he was much better. He was not uh, 184. I don't know why why he went 84 this year. Did they have – who was their 74? Certainly no one that could beat uh, D. Chris Perry. Mike Benefiel. Oh, maybe he could, but that would surprise me. I think maybe just fit their lineup better. 
But Chris Berry goes down to 74 and has a has a two-time national champ. Yep, much more solid career. And I forget what happened his sophomore year. I think he got third. This was a really good uh, sophomore year, 74, 2013, 174. I think he won in 2013 or 2012. He was third. Ed Ruth won. Yes. Ed Ruth hard to beat. Ed Ruth hard to beat. So that was 184. I think that was pretty much it. I mean, Wright beat Hamlin pretty uh, pretty easily. Not that competitive. I mean, he ran through. I mean, really, this tournament, 8-2, or no, excuse me, 8-4, 8-4, 7-3, fall in 353 and 5-2. Mm-hmm. That's not a really – a lot of decisions, but also not a lot of close matches there. This was the out of – this was when Grant Gambrell had an out-of-body experience. I'm telling you. I don't know. Grant Gambrell was the what seed here? The the 12 seed. Okay. So he beats Austin Trotman, who is outstanding. Then he beats Joe LeBlanc 8 to 3. No problem. Joe LeBlanc was outstanding. He was a huge favorite over Grant Gambrell in round 2. Then he beats Travis Rutt. He was an underdog. I'm pretty sure he lost to Rutt that year. Then he loses to Wright. And then listen to this backside draw. How uh Gambrell just runs through it. Beats LeBlanc by a forfeit. This was the this is another crazy thing. Joe LeBlanc missed weight on the third day of NCAs. Do you remember this? I don't remember him missing yes! weight. He missed weight the third day of uh oh, man. of NCAAs. So Gambrell got a forfeit and then he beat Steve Bozak for third. But yet Gambrell so the story goes with LeBlanc. He thought he was on weight. He was just hanging out there, just chilling. He had checked on like the wrong scale or the wrong thing happened. And he gets on the scale, and he's over, and he misses weight, and he doesn't get to wrestle. And at this point, I forget what the rule was, but there was a point where, like, if you didn't make weight every day, like, you weren't an All-American. But I think LeBlanc still got to be All-American. It says he plays six here. But crazy. I mean, imagine a guy missing weight on the third day of NCAAs. Imagine if he had been a finalist. So that was a really weird, weird thing. Okay, 197 broke my heart because it lost me the fantasy title that uh, you that long eluded me. When Clayton Foster, who was another deep sleeper, people didn't know Clayton Foster had this. He was the two seed. He had had a really solid season. He was beating Gilgore soundly. Go watch this match. Yep. And then he's on top, I think, and he had a half, and he tried to, like, roll, and uh, Kilgore caught him, pinned him, put him away. Great match there. Dustin Kilgore and Cam Simas only wrestled 10-9 matches. <laughs> they had crazy bouts. They're, uh, they both, like, not the best defense, great offense, high output guys, not afraid to let it fly. If you can find their matches. I know there's one on flow. Yeah, that one was from Cor- something that Cornell. It was at Cornell. I don't yep. know if it was an open or a duel. Yeah, I remember that one. Might have been the body bar. The, uh. Hey, our guy, big shout, LJ Helbig was in this bracket. He drew Matt uh, Powless uh, from Indiana, who is who is good, and then um, Anthony Biondo from Michigan, who is also really good. But LJ was good, so good for him. Big shout to him. He may be listening right now as we speak. Anything else in this 197 bracket? Cam Simas was nasty, but could not beat uh, Dustin Kilgore. I think your man Jerome Ward's in here. Jerome Ward. Have I have I gone over the Jerome Ward hit list? I feel like you have, but you should probably refresh some All people. Right. Uh, if you can, if you have, you should. That's something you should have on your 
computer at all times, you like should, ready to go. You should kind of always have it. All right, stall for a little bit for me, and yep, I'll find I it. I got you. Uh, let's look through here. Some of underrated guys. Chad Hankey was very good. He was unseated that year. Um, very good. He would make a trials final or challenge match final, I'm pretty sure. Let's see. Let's see. Luke Lofthouse was a five, made to the quarters, lost to Kilgore. Yeah, Clayton Foster was really good. I remember uh, watching him when he was in high school at Dapper Dan. Okay. Here's the hit list for Jerome Ward. So Jerome Ward was a 84-97 pounder for Iowa State. He kind of got tired sometimes, but was could score and beat a lot of good guys. So he beat national champ Mike Pusillo, NCAA finalist Mike Miller, Phil Keddy, Zach Geeson, who was really good for Stanford, Sonny Yon, All-American uh, from Minnesota, Luke Lofthouse, All-American, Josh Enan, All-American, Nate Scheidel, Steve Bozak, he won nationals, Ryan Loader, All-American, Brent Haynes was really good. Jerome Moore beat all these guys, but he never got on the podium. He never did. So He, he lost no blood around this year to Lofthouse, 3-1. Daggone it. He just couldn't get it done in March, but do not forget Jerome Ward was good. It all comes back to Jerome Ward. So that was 97, I think. Uh, Want to get to heavyweight, the big boys? Let's do it. This, this weight went crazy. This, If you look at the seeds and how it played out, Spencer Myers – Placed that was he was a true freshman. I don't think he ever placed again. I think he didn't even place no, he didn't. the year he beat Telford at NCAs. He still didn't place. I think you're right. Yeah. So you had Blake Raising won Big Tens this year. He beat Tony Nelson. So he had a really a high seed. Uh, Don, DJ Russo, who I've mentioned the last couple of shows, he was really good. He got pinned by Levi Cooper. Uh, or he lost to Levi Cooper in round one. Which, We've also talked about the last yes, few shows. He's in heavy machinery now, <laughs> which you guys probably don't know. That's the, the WWE thing that he was telling me about. Where was Blake Raising? So Raising was the seventh seed. Where was Tony Nelson? Uh, Nelson. Let me find him here. Eight seed. Eight seed, right? So you had Zachary Ray won this one. This is when Ryan Flores kind of maybe got concussed in the NCAA. Oh, yeah, he definitely was. He was woozy-woozy, but uh, wound up falling close. Ryan Flores for American was really good. He had, like, super ducks and really athletic heavyweight. Uh, but Zach Ray, Matt return, Matt return, Matt return. Biggest legs in the world. <laughs> Dom Bradley was really good this year. Yeah. This, Cam Bra- Wade beat Tony Nelson. Cam Wade for Penn State. Really good on top. He was like a he was like I'm pretty sure he was a double leg rider, which pretty rare for heavyweight. But he was he was tough from the top position. Nate Fernandez uh, made the quarters here, lost to Jared Trice. Tucker Lane was really good. So yeah, not the not the most loaded heavyweight bracket, and it kind of got blown up a little bit, especially from like six, seven, eight, some really random all Americans. Then Tony Nelson kind of sandwiched in there. So that was it. That was uh, the 2011 NCAA tournament in Philadelphia. I hope they never have it there again. As much as uh, yeah, I did not go that year, but I heard lots of negative reviews. Yes, people, people did not like Philly. Add this negative review to the pile of negative. <laughs> what was reviews. wrong with it? It was not near anything. Okay, it was you couldn't like you'd have to basically take a train in and out or be stupid like my brothers and I and just stay at the worst place in the world, <laughs> which is not. That would be a, something I would continue to do. Well, you just stayed there so you can say that uh, 
Mac's dad also stayed there at some point. Mac's down the line. dad also, yeah, that was that was the big moment. So it's nine forty four. I think we got to go. It's red. David Bray and Mark Bader just walked. Hey Bader, why don't you come here? Come here real quick. Why don't you tell? Oh, he, he's got a gas tank Gary shirt. Oh, that's bull. I we've been riding for gas tank <laughs> Gary all along. He goes to Columbus one time. He comes home with a shirt. Yes, I'm jealous. Uh, Gas Tank Bader, what's coming on uh, Flow Wrestling 24-7 today? You should talk about that a little bit. Uh, today, well, we kind of planned on talking about it in the next show, but... Um, all right, sorry. Gosh, I don't have the schedule in front of me, but... Um, oh, it's a bunch of Flow films. Gosh, a whole string of them. I couldn't tell you in order exactly, but a bunch of them. Um, I think starting right at, as soon as me and Bray get done, and then uh, some, dual, some, some wrestling tonight. I don't remember exactly what it is, to be honest. I think it's... Uh, Maybe it's a scuffle and and uh, Midland Finals. Cool. Um, and then we got the whole day set, so it should be great. Sweet. So stay tuned. You can keep it right on this link, I do believe. And uh, yep, thanks a lot. We'll see you tomorrow, hopefully with Ben. Fingers crossed. See ya.